This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufall, joined, as always, by Steve Mareska and Matt Fasaro. Hey, guys. Hi. I, still, I feel bad for Matt. He's not in the intro. We need to fix that. We do need to fix that. Uh, you know, okay. as, the, as the podcast continues to evolve, right, there's always going to be something we have to do. Um, so today, I, you mentioned it 10 seconds before this, Steve, we're going to demystify the dark web, uh, which, I think, which I think is great, right? The reality is people hear about it all the time. Um, and, you know, I think most people probably don't understand what it is other than, other than probably this vague idea that, you know, <laughs> somewhere you want to be or it's bad, right? Uh, so we have, you know, the, the commercial or common internet, uh, the deep web and the dark web, um, Either of you want to take a stab? I think everybody knows what the internet is. We can probably skip that. But how is that distinct maybe from the deep web uh, as sort of that that middle ground? So the deep web has had many different uh, descriptions over the last 20 years, I think is probably the best way to start out. But bottom line, it's stuff that isn't easy to find by your typical search engine. Um, we're talking uh, FTP servers, uh, file transfer media, things of that that sort, um, private networks, archives, things that aren't indexed in general. So um, maybe the things that don't turn up directly in search results easily. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but, but they're not necessarily, you know, nefarious, right? They're, I mean, they're not, they're not bad. No, or, right. No, the deep, deep web is what, you know, your researchers will, will end up using as their primary source for a lot of information. It's where your data resides less okay. so than, you know, your written word content. Okay. That's reasonable. Um, Matt, would you want to take a stab at the dark web? Sure. So kind of contrary to how ClearNet or the, what you reference as the commercial internet, uh, dark web isn't something you can just, you know, browse to the web page for, right? Uh, you'll need some special tools, special browsers sometimes. Uh, you might have heard of like an onion router or a, uh, a Tor site or something like that. Uh, where you you essentially create a VPN connection, you'll need some type of access to get into these uh, into these dark nets, and on there, you know, it's not necessarily illegal either, and that that's something that's that should probably be uh, talked about too. Is that it's not always illegal content that's on the dark web. It's a good portion of it. Let's not <laughs> let's not get uh, get me wrong there, but there's it's not necessarily illegal to have a dark web, right? Um, there may be good reasons for it. Uh, but essentially getting to that, there, there's some type of gateway to get there. Uh, once you use your tools, you can get on there. And it's kind of a, uh, a lot of them are kind of an invitation only type uh, community where you'll need some some way of getting in there, some type of credentials um, or a member of some organization, right? So, you know, what's interesting about, you are talking about the tools is, you know, the Onion Router or Tor was a you know was was not really originally intended to be a way to access this dark web right it was really uh, in response to sort of being more private when you're browsing ultimately right it, and and that was the whole point of right. it and then it eventually evolved more into well how do you really remain anonymous or you know how how do you get that sort of level of security and privacy that you want and it and really it, it really turned into the gateway to the dark web right I, well yeah, I, I wouldn't e- I would I wouldn't even say that necessarily it's just a way to access material that is lumped under the giant amorphous term, the dark web, right? 
Tor has its root in roots in peer-to-peer networking, file transfer. Basically, you know, to your point, privacy-oriented separate routing for internet traffic. That's it. Um, it's a way of introducing some resiliency and geographic independence in network traffic that doesn't otherwise exist in the traditional hub-and-spoke model of the internet. However, it happens to be a convenient way to host content that is shifting, that doesn't have a geographic home per se, that might be illicit. And it's been appropriated that way over time. But the dark web could be as simple as a closed forum in a traditional internet site. Okay. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a spectrum of, of places that you might visit. I think that's the, pro- that's the best way of describing it. Yeah, and just kind of a buyer beware statement with this too. A lot of the uh, what, what are called Tor exit nodes. Uh, so a Tor exit node would be okay. You've you've done your traversing through this Tor network where it's essentially trying to anonymize your traffic. Uh, that's usually the goal of, of, of using one of those. <clears throat> so you anonymize the traffic. It has to exit at some point to get to the content that you're actually looking for. A lot of those exit nodes are already popped. Right, they've been specifically targeted. Uh, governments know about them. Uh, other criminals know about them, right? Uh, they So a lot of the data that you think might be totally um, off the record, if you will, not so much. You, there's other ways to get to the data you're, you're looking for if you're looking to do illicit, uh, illicit things or look for illicit material. I, th- I think the main takeaway for the average person is that the, the dark web as it's been described in advertising from Experian, Equifax, and all the big names that talk about it, about identity theft, it's really just a harder-to-reach area of the Internet where some people with things that want to be hidden uh, tend to tend to congregate. But some of it right. operates in plain sight just as much as the rest of the Internet. But, it, but that's a good segue, right? Because we deal an awful lot in ransomware. And, you know, the, the we're seeing now the dark web utilized. And of course we've seen this, right? But we're seeing now almost in every ransomware event, data is stolen and, you know, maybe parts, portions of the data are published on the dark web to, to demonstrate your, or, you know, sort of validate that your data has been taken as a company. Um, they're using it to transact, right? If you get financial information that might have value for another threat actor, they'll sell that on the dark web. Um, so I, you know, I feel like we, we're always looking at the dark web as a place where, sort of you know, illicit or illegal activities are occurring. But I think you know, it's particularly relevant in these ransomware schemes because that's where the data is, you know, is posted. And that's, it's kind of the, the, the medium that makes stealing that data valuable in certain ways. Right. I think that that's reasonable to mention as well. The, the intersection with dark web conversation is simply that the double extortion, triple extortion type threats where data is moved from an organization during a ransomware event ends up often in a site only accessible via Tor. That's simply where the victim shaming sites exist. It's just a a trend. Um, The dark web itself is just the means of getting there. You you mentioned, and and I think it's fair just to spend a second on it, even though it's not specific to dark web. you know, from a ransomware standpoint, you know, the original the original ransomware simply was encrypting your data and asking for a ransom. That that double extortion part was encrypting your data, asking for a ransom, publishing your data, and asking for a ransom to take it down. Uh, interestingly, now that triple extortion, we're seeing uh, the threat actors actually go directly now to employees of a company and say, 
we've stolen you know data from your company. Your company hasn't paid us to you know delete the data. So we're going to ask you individually if you want the opportunity to pay for us to delete your data. Right. So we're I mean yeah. we're seeing these we're seeing these. Um, uh, threat actors now get really creative on ways to sort of maximize their profit. Um, frankly, in a lot of ways, all leveraging the, the ability of the dark web to, to keep their activities you know, reasonably anonymous or protected. So I think that- Yeah, they're always looking for ways to monetize the the activity they did, right? So they, they spent their time and money to get into those organizations. They want to they monetize it, right? Um, and it, it's fair to say too, that it's getting increasingly more difficult for them to operate on dark web, right? There's tons of services out there that have put the time and effort to get onto, you know, the forums, the groups, uh, you know, right. the Discord servers that they shouldn't be they shouldn't be on to find out information. Um, but up until now, it's been hard to do all that. Uh, you also have to get people that know different languages in order to be able to read a lot of this stuff. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not all in English. So there's plenty of stuff in. Uh, tons of other languages that you have to read through to actually know what's going on. Well, one thing that we haven't touched on yet, and I think it's sort of adjacent to this subject, is the fact that marketplaces for exchanging information, credentials, and stolen uh, illicit material uh, are often introduced in the context of the dark web because it's easier to transact via, you know, or transact for things that are illicit or illegal in an area that's slightly out of sight. So in the context of ransomware, in the context of identity theft, there will be forums and bidding uh, bidding sites for actually um, paying for stolen pieces of information. Sure. The dark web is how you might get to it. Where this intersects with the average business or the average person really is kind of where you were getting at in terms of the extortion of the ransomware or the identity theft. Businesses, if they are subject to ransomware may be presented with a ransom note that has a a Tor link or an onion link to a website. You need to know how to get there to evaluate whether the threat actor has stolen your information. Tor browsers are easy to acquire through the Tor project. They're free, they're safe, you can use them. Uh, individuals might want to do that as well if they believe their information has been stolen or if they simply want to see what the dark web has to offer. It's they're there are search engines within the dark web in and of itself. It's not entirely foreign. It's just a different landscape. And, you know, finally, what it means to people in general is that the dark web, when you see it as a term, is often used in sort of a fear-oriented delivery. It's just another place. It's just a place. Yeah, and, and it's not dark. It's not insidious. It's not necessarily something that you need to fear. It's simply a term for uh, a place where you can have information that is harder to reach and you can reach it as easily as anybody else. Right. So let, let's, let's take this conversation back a tiny bit to, uh, you know, what, what kind of things occur from a, so from an incident standpoint that might be meaningful to an employer, right? And, and Steve or Matt, I know that you have a, a very specific example of a workflow where you know we'll do some credential validation for clients right and yeah. and I think and I think that really will drive home what some of the risk is of, of something as basic as again your your traditional username and password right so third-party sites are compromised all the time LinkedIn's a great example many people have LinkedIn accounts their password hashes were compromised um, many sites 
you know, are compromised and reveal usernames, email addresses, phone numbers, you name it. The same thing is true of plain text passwords. And what that means in the context of the dark web is that there are huge caches of, of credentials associated with accounts that might be attainable to an attacker. And that may mean to you as an individual that your username and password is out there and usable within arm's reach by someone who wants to access your accounts or your systems. Um, and these database of, databases of accounts, I mean, they're for sale, right? Yes. So some, there right. are, there's threat actors that specialize in harvesting, and then they will simply sell them to people who want them. Absolutely. And it might, it might turn into spam. It might be credential use. You name it. There's a whole spectrum of actual outcomes. But um, in, in terms of how we would use that information in a defensive, protective kind of way is going out, looking at some of the aggregated collections of identities searching for our customers or encouraging our customers to search for, you know, VIPs in their organizations to see if those accounts have been leaked, and then taking action. If you see an account that has been targeted or the password that's been leaked, you might as well change those account passwords where you can. Uh, a process that we perform for some of our customers is actually pulling the credentials that we can obtain with the plain text passwords and testing them within an organization servers. Uh, we have an example that came up recently where this is an organization with many thousands of users, but, uh, you know, a couple hundred actual accounts had passwords that were usable. And, you know, the immediate outcome is either force a password change or uh, have a conversation for security awareness and education with those users. There are lots of potential improvements that can be made by simply looking at that data and making use of it in an aggregate kind of way. Even when there isn't a legit match from authentication, you can have a conversation. Hey, John, you've used the same password on multiple sites. Might want to not do that anymore. Uh, so there are other fringe benefits, even though the data might have been exposed uh, in a way that you might otherwise prefer it uh, not be. Yeah, and there's a lot of other information too besides passwords. It's it's good to get out ahead of that, know what's out there. You, know, you, you can't defend what you don't know, right? So if you know about a situation, you're, you can put a risk management strategy around it. You know, if, if customer data was leaked or if, it, you know, sales numbers, whatever, whatever's important to your business could have been taken out somehow. And knowing it's out there, you know, it helps you create a strategy on how to deal with that. So real practical outcome, real practical step that an individual can take. Visiting a site like have I been P-O-P-W-N-E-D.com, have I been pwned.com or uh, dehash.com. These are sites that provide a way to search for your username, a search for your password in a safe way, which is a bit of a complicated discussion in and of itself, but just be rest assured that you can type in your password to these sites and not have it exposed. They'll tell you if it's in a uh, leaked data set. And if it is, then you'd better change that password or you'd better recognize that the account that you've submitted to search may have exposure. Right. And, and we've certainly got a podcast that talks all about, you know, good, good credential management, good password management. Um, you know, the reality is, you know, as always, these are, these are kind of the king, the keys to the kingdom and you, you really want to protect them. And we, and the use case that you outlined around, you know, collecting or harvesting credentials and then validating whether or not they're, they're still good is one that we do all the time. And we see, you know, sort of successful authentications from these in nearly every case. So, you know, the, while maybe not the, the biggest risk to an organization, 
it really represents an easy way for a threat actor to potentially get access to your environment. And, and, and you want to be mindful of that and understand what the risk is. Um, so I think you know, we've, I feel like we've really covered everything we set out to cover here today. Um, you know, the intent in a lot of ways was just to give people a, a, a better understanding of what the dark web is. And I think, you know, I, I think I appreciate that, you know, it doesn't have to be a place that only, you know, sort of only you know, illicit or, or illegal transactions occur. Uh, it just happens to be a, a, a place where they, they can occur. And, you know, and, and that's generally the dominant area for it. But, you know, be mindful that it exists. Uh, certainly, if you have an incident uh, monitoring and, and sort of trying to identify whether your data is there is going to be an important an important piece of all of this. Um, I think understanding the distinction between you know, deep web and say you so your more your more commercial internet, I think is is, is valuable enough. Um, I think as always, right? If there, if there's questions about this. Uh, you know, there's, there's a whole lot more to tell here, right? Uh, feel free to reach out to us at Fancord at LinkedIn or Fancord Security at Twitter. You know, we're happy to have a, a continued conversation, let you know what some of the other risks might be. Uh, as always, we're here to help you protect your business uh, or your personal assets. Uh, and with that, uh, as always, Steve and Matt, thanks for joining today. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and, and we hope you have a good day. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.